0: Uh, Mark 1.15, Jesus said, The time promised by God has come at last. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. So we've been looking at what is kingdom living. This was Jesus' message. This was what he went out and he was proclaiming. This was the gospel. It was the, the kingdom of God is here. And oftentimes we think of the gospel more as what Jesus did for us on the cross so that we can go to heaven, but for Jesus it was beyond that, it was establishing a rule, a new way of life, and it was called the kingdom of God. And as we've looked through Titus, we've been looking at what does it mean to be kingdom living in a hellish world. And Titus, he gives us these examples, so it's like a bunch of lists that he gives of, hey, kingdom living, those that are citizens of the kingdom, they live like this, they don't live like this. And we've looked at, starting with what Jesus said, that first the kingdom is here. This is the true reality, that the world that we see isn't the real reality. There's another reality beyond this one, and once we come into that light, once we become citizens of the kingdom of God, we live our lives by those values, by those principles, and we're able to live a full life, and our soul's able to come to complete rest. So we don't get worked up about the things that the world gets worked up about, and we don't Base so much of our decisions on what does reason say, we, have a, uh, we know the king, and the king calls us to live by faith. We looked at uh, also that there's things that the key here, he says, is to repent of your sins. So there's a key here to entering into the kingdom, is that there's certain things that we have to turn away from. We used to be citizens of the world, citizens of the dark, and now we're citizens of the kingdom of God. And so there's different patterns that we have to learn. There's different ways of life. And then he says, to believe the good news. And here's the thing about this word belief, uh, not only here, but throughout Scripture, it's the, the belief, the biblical belief that leads to salvation is beyond just a mental acknowledgement. James says that even the demons believe that there is a God, and they tremble. But they aren't saved because of that, the, what they believe. Our belief always moves to action. So how is it that we are supposed to live? And kingdom living in a hellish world is the understanding that Christian life is to be living out God's will first and foremost in every area of our life. And this is going to cause us to live differently from the world. And this is, uh, a lot of times we get into just this thinking of that we just need to live moral lives. And that's true, and we'll see some of this today in the passages is that there's a lot of just characteristics that, hey, just being a good person, you should do that. The problem is, is that if we go with just uh, saying that being a Christian is being a moral person, that sometimes we have to ask ourselves, well, who's morality? Because if we're following along with the world and not holding ourselves accountable to the scriptures, we'll start seeing ourselves going adrift. And we can see this in our own society, in this hellish world, realizing that, hey, what used to be taboo then is okay now. So we have to have a standard for our lives. And there comes a time in our life as Christians, as followers of Jesus, that we are going to have to take a stand because we are going to live differently by different standards and by different values. And when this doesn't happen, when we decide just to keep going along with the world, we start bringing disgrace to God's name and His reputation. Shortly after uh, the call where uh, my two youngest daughters came into our lives and we brought them in, uh, it completely shook uh, the the my fire department and those that found out about the story and then the paramedics and everything. It kind of shook a lot of them because they just couldn't understand why we would take such a drastic measures to bring these two girls into our home. Uh, not that A lot of them didn't realize that God had been prepping my heart for months beforehand with the book of James. He wouldn't let me escape that. And then... And then looking at the day of that single call, that I was supposed to be at the farthest west of the city, and God moved me to the point where I was at the farthest east of the city to be there at that exact time to be there for those girls. One of the guys, the, one of the paramedics that I ran that call with is a very outspoken atheist, very educated at that. He he could sit there and he could square quote scripture just like everybody else and he had all the different things and I will never forget sitting there in the fire department or at the kitchen and we were just kind of talking and he was asking how the girls were doing I was showing pictures we were kind of catching up and he's like you know what I don't have room in my life for these churches that the minister has their own private parking spot they have their own speaking tours they're promoting their own books they're doing this stuff they have all the glitz and glam and all this kind of stuff That just doesn't match up with the Jesus I read in the Bible. But then, when someone like you and your wife do something like this, not wanting anything in in return, it makes me question everything. And that's the way kingdom living is in a hellish world. It makes everyone stop and take notice and helps them like, okay, I got to figure this out because this completely changed my whole worldview. So our passage, Titus 2, uh, 1 through 15. We're also going to be jumping over into chapter 3 as well. So just camping out in Titus. Here we go. Titus uh, 2, verse 1. As for you, Titus, promote the kind of living that reflects wholesome teaching. Teach the older men to exercise self-control, to be worthy of respect, and to live wisely. They must have sound faith and be filled with love and patience. Similarly, teach the older women to live in a way that honors God. They must not slander others or be heavy drinkers. Instead, they should teach others what is good. These older women must train the younger women to love their husbands and their children, to live wisely and be pure, to work in their house, homes, to do good and to be submissive to their husbands. Then they will not bring shame on the word of God. In the same way, encourage the young men to live wisely, and you yourselves must be an example to them by doing good works of every kind. Let everything you do reflect the integrity and seriousness of your teaching. Teach the truth so that your teaching can't be criticized. Then those who oppose us will be ashamed and have nothing bad to say about us. Slaves must always obey their masters and do their best to please them. They must not talk back or steal, but must show themselves to be entirely trustworthy and good. Then they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive in every way. For the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people, and we are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God, while we look forward with hope to what that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. He gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us, and to make us his very own people, totally committed to doing good deeds. You must teach these things and encourage the believers to do them. You have the authority to correct them when necessary, so don't let anyone disregard what you say. ESV It goes along pretty close to all this, and I might reference a little bit of what they say as we go through this. But let's just look at the conduct of the citizens of the kingdom of God. What does it look like? Because the Christian life and message are inseparable. They need to be in agreement. For us to say that Jesus is Lord, then it should be seen in every aspect of our lives. And if you haven't caught on yet, theology has consequences. Verse 1, he says, As for you, Titus, promote the kind of living that reflects wholesome teaching. In the ESV says, As for you, teach what uh, accords with sound doctrine. All right, We are to hold our life up to Scripture and biblical principles and looking at, okay, before it becomes a uh, binoculars and uh, to look at other people and a window to look at other people, it's first a mirror, and we have to look at ourselves in light of what is said. Verse 2, though, he goes on and says, Teach the older men to exercise self-control, to be worthy of respect, to live wisely. They must have sound faith and be filled with love and patience. The ESV says, Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Listen, you're going to see he's going to be going through the older men and older women and then younger women and younger men. And it's this whole idea of uh, home. Family is everything. It's the very first thing that God ever established once He made Adam and Eve. He created family. And when families then become societies, and society so then rests on the family unit, and that is why it is such under attack by our society. If the family unit is not okay, is if it's not preserved the way that God says, then the society crumbles. So the key to destroying a family is to pacify the men, you, or just to take them out altogether. And then you indoctrinate the kids just to bring the, some of that teaching from within. Because if we can cause more turmoil within the family unit, then that's going to go into a hellish world, and it's just going to continue crumbling. And this is why the very first time, uh, very first person that is addressed by Scripture is the men, the older men. You need to take the lead. You're the first responsible for everything. And ministry and kingdom living, it starts in the home and it flows from that. The church, the kingdom is a family and we need, and here's the thing is, we need the older and the younger. All right? It's not one or the other. We need both. The older provide wisdom so that the strength isn't wasted and the younger provide strength so wisdom can be applied. And what we need is kind of like the whole boat and rudder thing is that, hey, you have these guys, they have all this testosterone, they have all this energy type thing. It's like they just want to go at it type thing, but they're just like this. And the wisdom, it comes on, it gives a rudder, and it says, hey, let's go this direction. Let's focus all that attention this way. And so that's why it's so important for these older men to be self-controlled, dignified, a lifestyle that is free from overindulgence, squandering, and foolish behavior in general. And also, you notice it says that they should be sound in faith. This means that they need to know their theology. Know what this says, but then to live it out. There are so many out there that can give all the Bible answers, but it is not evident in their lives. And guys, it is time to start leading that charge. We need... You guys, to take this more seriously and to apply yourselves in understanding this theology, to understand what does Scripture actually teach, because we need masculinity back into Christianity, because the times are getting dark and we need those warriors to be able to go forth to protect the family, to protect the women and children from the attacks that are taking place. And They're also supposed to be, in doing all this, to be patient, or this says steadfast, to be consistent. They're not all over the place. But just as the men needed it, so are the women. It says older women, it says to be reverence. It's this idea of actually a priestess, which above all else, he says, means avoiding slanderous talk and drunkenness. I've said it before, it's the guy's eyes and our thoughts that usually get us in trouble. It's usually the women's mouths that get them into trouble. And we need to start realizing that we have a higher purpose than beyond what we just can see. And we need to engage in the mission of the kingdom of God. And what does he call the older women to? He actually calls them to mentoring the younger women. He says, they must not, they should teach others what is good. And then he goes in, it says, these older women must train the younger women. They're supposed to train them, teaching younger women. They have a lot to teach. As women have a lot to deal with, I, it amazes me. This is, just goes and proves the whole point that it is not good for man to be alone because if we were alone, nothing uh, like we'd accomplish some things, but not everything, and everything would be crumbling around. And it just amazes me how women are actually built better to be able to do multitasking. Guys, not so much. But the older women, can help with the practical side of things, coming alongside these younger women. And and here's the thing is, why try to learn the hard way when you can learn from someone else's suffering? That's wisdom, is to actually learn from somebody else and say, okay, I don't want to go down that path. I'm going to believe and I'm going to do this. Then he goes into the younger women. That they're to love their husbands and their children, to live wisely and be pure, to work in their homes, to do good, and to be submissive to their husbands. And so here's the whole thing is that first they need to teach to love the husbands and children. All right. And, and here's the thing is that you have to learn to love your husband because you, like I said, you quickly realize it is not good for man to be alone. It's like, my goodness, how have you lived this long, right? But also this love for children. And that might be kind of a wondering why Why would we even have to say that, but really look at our society. Our society views kids more as a burden than a blessing. Scripture says children are a blessing. And still, there's so many that want the title of mom without actually being one. These are the moms that drop off their kids as soon as they can to the daycare to uh, preschool to school, so that then they can, they can go and they go to the gym and then they have their latte with their friends and then they have their lunch and then they go to the spa day they pick up their kids take them straight to sports or to their nanny uh, and and the, but then they still want that title of i 'm a mom it's this idea of also she or he says being self controlled this prudence this mo- everything in moderation and being using discretion Listen, just because it's on sale doesn't mean you have to buy it, right? That's self-control. You know what's better than saving 25%? Saving 100% and not buying it. <laughs> you know, not everything has to be said. It's using that self-control, and the older woman comes along, the younger woman, and helps them in that. It says to be busy at home, to be efficient. Realize that they are helpers and can be either either multiply or drain the man's strength and provision. That's why in Proverbs 31, we always kind of quote that one and kind of go-to uh, type thing. But if you look at Proverbs 31, it actually gives out two different types of women uh, that you uh, can end up marrying or being uh, growing up to be. In verses 2 and 3, it says, O my son, O, o son of my womb, O son of my vows, do not waste your strength on women, on those who ruin kings. But then it goes in and t- talks about the noble woman who is constantly working busy is taking what little provision their husband is able to provide and make it into a grand thing and you have to realize are you either going to multiply or drain the man's strength and an older woman helps the younger woman to know how to do that kindness this is realizing that those around them as she goes about her business like hey that my actions, my attitude, the things that I say and do, it affects everyone. And so I need to have this kindness because then that reflects not on just myself, but it represents my king and it represents my husband. Submission. This is, And I know it just says here to submit to your husband, but it's actually referred that there's mutual submission to one another under the lordship of Jesus. And so the man is also to submit his desires his des- uh, and wants for what Christ is actually calling them to. So, both are submitting to God, and, and it makes it everything a lot easier. So, whose fault is it if the younger woman is not doing these things? See, we're all held partially responsible, right? And at the end of the day, we're all held personally responsible, but... There's also something to be said here that if an older woman sees a younger woman doing some of these things and not going the path that she should be going down and doesn't say anything, that they are held responsible as well. And again, it's all stressed that in not doing these things, and following Scripture, actually brings shame to God's character and holy name. Then he gets into the younger men. And he says, in the same way, encourage young men to live wisely and you yourself be an example to them. He's talking to Titus. By doing good works of every kind, let everything you do reflect the integrity and seriousness of your teaching. So the young men are supposed to be sensible, responsible, respectable uh, in all aspects of life. They're supposed to have this integrity. They're one person. It's this avoidance of corruption introduced by heretics. It's this seriousness as well, dignified bearing that uh, dignified bearing that proclaims the importance of the Christian task. And here's the thing, as he tells this out, and here's what we need to realize is that masculinity brings out masculinity, and only a man can bring out a man out of a boy. And that's what he's calling them to. It's like, hey, we need to raise up more men to accomplish this task. And there's this sound doctrine, the healthy gospel message. and And I love how he says, teach the truth. Not your opinions, but the truth. You stand on the truth so that the opponents have nothing to really get you on. If you're living such a life that's in line with what you're teaching, and you're teaching the truth, not your opinions, there's nothing that they can attack you on. And that's kingdom living, is that we don't bring disgrace to our king. Then he goes in and talks about slaves, which are our equivalent would be employees. All right? And we've talked about that before. And he talks about how the slaves or employees are supposed to be submissive to their masters. They're supposed to work hard, all right? Because working hard for the master, that if your master, or your employer is successful, then you're going to be successful, right? So we should be working as hard as we can for them, and not just really for them. We realize that we're working for God. And then he goes into that there is this side of also that we shouldn't be, there, no talking back. One of the first ways that people under authority used uh, to express rebellion is verbal challenges. Sarcastic comments given under the breath or out loud or just defiant of orders. And generally speaking, orders must not be questioned, especially by Christian uh, employees, as long as it doesn't violate what God has called us to. And again, it's why do we do this? It, he says that the life, living this way, adds validity to the message that theology has consequences. And In the verses uh, 3, uh, Titus 3, 1 through 2, it says, "Remember, Remind the believers to submit to government and its officials. They should be obedient, always ready to do what is good. They must not slander anyone and must not quarrel and must avoid quarrelling. Instead, they should be gentle and show true humility to everyone. And we've talked about when we submit to government when we don't, and, and looked at the cases for civil disobedience and all that. But in general, we try to submit to the government authorities as long as we can and not violate what God has called us to do, because we recognize that we're citizens of the kingdom before we're citizens of America or any other country. And if we don't live like what Scripture is talking about, then what do we get? We get the hellish world that we have today called America. We have grown kids that are legal adults, and, and they are looking to the government to help them. Theology has consequences. And our standard, if you haven't caught on yet, our standard is holiness, for our God is holy. So why should we live this way? What's the basis? Where does our power to live this way really come from? Our holiness comes from what Jesus has done and and it's seen in our lives. And to do that in the wrong order is to know the gospel but to deny its power. So where is this? Theology has consequences. He he lays all this out and then he goes straight into verses 11 through 14. For the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people, and we are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We should live in this whole evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God, while we look forward with hope to what that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and our Savior Jesus Christ will be revealed. He gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us, and to make us his very own people totally committed to doing good deeds and in verses uh titus 3 4 through 7 he says but When God our Savior revealed His kindness and love, He saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and a new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ our Savior. Because of His grace, He made us right in His sight and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life theology has consequences everything that paul and scripture builds upon is on what god has already accomplished and we got to start living for the kingdom of god now and we look at how grace it's not it's grace not laws or works or moral living that saves us and leads to change he says for the grace of god has been revealed the grace of god that's been revealed is we call him jesus And bringing salvation to all people. And we are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We should live in this evil world, this hellish world with wisdom. And only true wisdom comes from God. His thoughts are so much higher than ours. And we're supposed to rely upon His wisdom even if it doesn't make sense. Righteousness and devotion to God. To be full all in. The full allegiance to God. And He's worthy because of Jesus. For while we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. That is what we're looking for. That is what we are focused on, is that realizing that one day the kingdom that we are living our lives by now is going to become full sight and the king is going to return. And he gave his life to free us from every kind of sin. This whole idea of ransom, redeemed. He's, he bought us out of slavery through a ransom that we are prisoners of war, and he paid for our release. And Isaiah 43, he says, Do not be afraid, for I have ransomed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. God has called you by your name, your true name, and you are his. He's ransomed you. He's bought you. He's redeemed you. And because of the high price that he's paid, it is not too much to give us, him, our lives. And he gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us, purify us, wash away all the guilt and shame, and to make us his very own people, totally committed to doing good deeds, sold out, totally committed. The kingdom living. Verses, I love Titus 3, 4 through 7, because the whole Trinity is involved in your salvation and sanctifying process. They're all involved in the process of you living for the kingdom of God in this hellish world. They're all partnering with you. When God our Savior revealed His kindness and love, He saved us. Not because of the righteous things that we had done, but because of his mercy. His mercy. Listen, we needed Jesus to die on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins, but you need to realize that God needed Jesus to die on the cross so he could show us mercy. Because apart from the cross, apart from Jesus, mercy is not in the equation. It is impossible for God to show us mercy. He washed away our sins. This is whole this whole idea of of baptism. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth, a new life. We have this rebirth, coming back to life from death. We have this renewal. It's this new creation. You are a new creation, so why are you living the old way still? Through the Holy Spirit. And I love the footnote actually says it this way. It says, He gave us... Uh, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. A regeneration of the heart. It's a new desire is that when the Holy Spirit comes into our lives, we see this whole new heart and desire come to place. That's the power of the gospel. Without regeneration of the Holy Spirit, then you are not saved. You need the Holy Spirit. You need this rebirth, this renewal, and this regeneration, and it comes by God's grace to us when we put our faith and full alliance and allegiance to Him. This is why. When the people are hearing the gospel message about Jesus, how he came and he died because of our sins, and they ask him, they ask Peter, they said, so what should we do to be saved? They've already shown that they have the faith and they're confessing about their sins. And the Holy Spirit through Peter says, Acts 2.38, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins and to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's all or nothing. In verse 6, he generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. The only way to have the Spirit of God is not by doing a bunch of things and reciting a bunch of scriptures, it is to full reliance upon Jesus. It is through what Jesus accomplished on the cross and us putting our faith in him and saying, my life belongs to you, that we're able to give the uh, Holy Spirit who changes us from the inside out. He gives us that new heart. He takes that power and He changes our desires and then all of a sudden the actions come out from that. Because of His grace, He made us right in His sight and gave us confidence, confidence that we will inherit eternal life see as we see changes and we see new desires start welling up within us and we're like wow that's weird I've never desired to like read my bible instead of watching this movie that's kind of different when we start seeing these new desires start welling up within us and these things that we used to try to find our satisfaction in it starts being appalling to us then all of a sudden our hope of eternity starts rising more and more and we're able to be more bold because we realize that God is doing a work in us he's changing us and we're no longer part of the citizens of the world or in the hellish world, we're actually citizens of the kingdom of God because theology has consequences. And we're called to a holy living because Jesus has made us holy. The bottom line, you are able to live boldly because God has intervened in human history to bring about the one thing that makes true change possible, the gospel. Jesus Christ dying in our place and the Holy Spirit coming into our lives and completely changing us. And by doing all this, it established the kingdom of God. It established a new way and a better way to live. A way of life that brings peace to our souls. That gives our life purpose and strips away all the other things that does not matter. and what Strips away all the guilt and shame. It allows us to live exciting lives. Because we're taking those steps of faith, following our King. So how do we get people, though, to hear and to join the Kingdom of God? Well, in verse 14 of chapter 3, he says, Our people must learn to do good by meeting the urgent needs of others. Then they will not be unproductive. So part of it, part of our being able to bring others into the Kingdom of God is to meet immediate needs, because people don't really care what you know until they know that you care. So we have to meet those needs. But in meeting those needs, if we never open our mouths, if we never proclaim about Jesus in the kingdom of God and share the gospel, then it's just a waste of time. All we are is these, old, these other social justice movements of the world. And we aren't really making a true change because we're not changing the person's heart. We're not changing their eternity. And that's why preaching and, and proclaiming the gospel is so important. Verses 15, chapter 2, verse 15. You must teach these things and encourage the believers to do them. You have the authority to correct them when necessary, so don't let anyone disregard what you say. Or in verse uh, chapter 3, verse 8. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to insist. Insist on these teachings so that all who trust in God will devote themselves to doing good. These teachings are good and beneficial for everyone. I love how actually in the ESV chapter 2, verse 15, it says, declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. It's proclaiming the gospel message because you know this is the truth. You know that this world is not all there is, and that you're living for the king. And it's and it, because of that, you declare it. You don't back down from it, you teach it, you proclaim it, and you stand by it. And it's just teaching. It's not just the uh, practical, but it's getting into the deep stuff as well. And it's using this and looking at like, hey, listen, because Jesus did this, then, hey, we can do this. It's encouraging them. It's using theology and doctrine to encourage positive behavior. Hey, you're able to overcome that sin because of what Jesus did for you. It's also this, though, times of rebuke. Hey, listen. Scripture is very clear. If you don't get this together, if you don't bring this under his lordship, then bad things are going to happen. And it's a way to get wayward believers back on track. But in all that, we're supposed to live in a way that does not discredit the message. But we need to recognize that we also have the authority, the authority of the king that we worship, the kingdom of God, that we know the king, he allows us to call him father. And so we proclaim the message through him. Listen, I want you all to live courageous and bold lives. Lives like Micah 6.8. That you would do what is right to love mercy and to humbly walk with your God. I want your guys' life to count. And more importantly, I want to know that when we're in heaven, that you are going to be there. And that's why I work so hard to deliver God's word to you and hope that you can see it in my life. And I know I'm not perfect. I'm not claiming to be perfect. I have, you guys have seen me in and out type thing. It's a progress, not perfection. But you need to realize that when I'm preaching, I'm not just preaching to you. I'm also preaching for the king. So, two passages I'm going to close with. And these are two passages that, when any time I stand to preach, uh, come to mind. 1 Thessalonians two ten through 12 You yourselves are our witnesses, and so is God, that we were devout and honest and faultless toward all of you believers. And you know that we treated each of you as if a father treats his own children. We pleaded with you, encouraged you, and urged you to live your lives in a way that God would consider worthy, for he called you to share in his kingdom and glory. Friends, loved ones, I love you guys. And I join Paul in saying this. I have done the Lord's work humbly and with many tears. I have endured the trials that came to me from the plots of others. I never shrank back from telling you what you needed to hear, either publicly or privately. I have had one message for all people, the necessity of repenting from sin and turning to God and of having faith in our Lord Jesus. And now I'm bound by the Spirit to go. I don't know what awaits me, but my life Is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus. The work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. And now I know that none of you to whom I have preached the kingdom will ever see me again. I declare today that I have been faithful. If anyone suffers eternal death, it's not my fault. For I didn't shrink from declaring all that God wants you to know. I now entrust you to God and the message of his grace through Jesus that is able to build you up and give you an inheritance that all those he has set apart for himself.